Good morning. Grace and peace to you. One of the great things about the little talk with Jesus, you can have it any time. And we should have a lot of them. Should have a lot of them. About a lot of things. Good things and things we struggle with. 1 Corinthians. I struggled with this lesson. I'll admit it. Uh, talk to Shirley. Started it, and I said, no, I'm going to throw it out, start over with something else. And I said, no, I'm going to do it. I mean, I've done that before, just trashed a lesson and started over. Didn't just wasn't working. And then I finally, the Lord said, no, you need to do this one. So we'll see how it comes out with his help. And uh, I don't have all the scriptures on the list because I didn't want to scare you. <laughs> but don't be afraid because we're going to be working through the letter. We're not going to be reading all of these different scriptures that I'm going to go to. But you'll see how we're working here as it unfolds. Uh, if you've read the, this letter, and most of you have, you're familiar with it, uh, it provides, uh, well, just a, a treasure trove of teaching and instruction from God about life. It also raises some interesting and sticky questions. You know, most of the time we look at 1 Corinthians, and like I said, you, most of you know, they were a church that had a lot of problems. And we just like to jump in and start looking at the problems, Okay? And what Paul said to do to correct them, I mean, they, had all, they were all over the board, as we say, with trouble, problems, sin, and everything else. But there is some tension in this letter. And some of the question that raises up for me was, when does a church stop being a church? Or when does a Christian stop being a Christian? Or is that even possible? And is a certain level of holiness or maturity required for a person to be saved? How deep is God's grace? So I want us to look here at the church of God at Corinth. Okay? We want to keep that in mind. This is why the scriptures I have there, if you've read them over, some of you might have, you're going to see what I'm talking about. And let's look at this introduction. You know, uh, in recalling all of my studies, if you will, and lessons I've heard from this letter, I never hear much about this introduction. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Pretty standard stuff in Paul's letters, identifying himself and those who are with him. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. They are the church of God at Corinth. All right? He doesn't say those at Corinth are pretending to be the church of God. Does he? 
to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. They have been sanctified, set apart in Christ. They are in Christ Jesus right now. As they receive the letter and open it up to read it, they are in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. Called to be saints, some letters say. God's own people. Who, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. They're calling on the Lord. They're looking to him for salvation and for for life and for help and blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Standard opening. Standard blessing. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. You receive the grace of God in Christ. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Wow. In everything. You were enriched in Christ. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So that you are not lacking in any gift. Wow, what a blessing awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had the right heart. They were looking for the return of Christ. They wanted him to come back. Who will also, meaning Jesus, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he'll do. He's going to confirm them blameless to the end. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Connects with 1 John 1, but we're not going to go there. They're in fellowship with Jesus Christ. This is one of the most extensive affirmations of a church's status in Scripture. You check it out in the introduction to the letters. It's amazing. What did they lack in Christ? Nothing. Not a thing. That's what he says. They were in Christ. They were the church of God. They were sanctified. They were saints. The grace of God was given them. They were enriched. You read it all. Incredible blessing. And actually, except maybe the not lacking in any gift, he might be speaking of the spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit, which they had. This would really apply to any true church in Christ Jesus. And so if we just stop there, what do we think? This is a great church, right? You want to be a part of this church? Sounds wonderful to me, right? They must have a lot going on. They must love one another. Uh, They must have it all together. A lot of good happening here. 
The assembly must be great and wonderful. Wow, right? But it's not the case, is it? You see the tension? Just how deep is God's grace? You know, when they opened up this letter, I, I had this thought. When they opened up this letter and started to read it, and that's what they did in those days, they would open it up and read it to the assembly. If Jesus Christ came right then, what do you think would have happened to them? Ever think about that? I have my thought. Would he have taken them home? Or would their sins have kept them out? What do you think? What did he just say? Be preserved blameless until the day of the coming of Christ. You see the tension? Trying to get you to think. Okay. The church at Corinth had some serious problems, widespread problems, problems in just about every area of living and in their, in the own con in their congregation, within, within their worship and so forth. But they're still called the church. They're still in Christ. They're still called saints. However, God, through the apostle, or the Holy Spirit, through the apostle, was not going to let them stay in their condition as far as being, having failings, sins, and troubles. He wasn't going to let them stay there. And as I understand, they were covered by the blood of Christ. They were saints. And they were saved. But God was not going to let them stay in their misconceptions, their evil, their lack of love, and all this as we're going to look at some of these things. And it's the same with every one of us. When we come to Christ, we're baptized into Christ, we're, we're covered with the blood. And then the work begins, doesn't it? And God says to Jeff, I'm not going to let you stay where you are because you need to grow. You need to mature. You need to put off the old man. You need to put on the new. But while you're doing that, I'm going to preserve you in Christ Jesus. Amazing thought, isn't it? God is so patient with us. His love is so deep that he will do that. And he will still claim us as his children. He will still claim a church as his church as he works with them to grow. So let's take a look at some of this congregation's sinful behavior. Right away in verse 10, right after all that wonderful thought about you are in Christ, etc., he starts. Now exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you all agree there be no divisions among you, that you be made complete in the same mind, the same judgment. And he says, I've heard there are divisions among you. And he goes on to say, is, is Christ divided? 
They were kind of choosing up side, one of a Paul and one of one of Paul, one of Peter, and so forth. He says, Is this the way it is? You see, that runs counter to Christ. If Jesus Christ stands for anything, he stands for unity. Because by his death to destroy sin, first of all, what did he do? He, he brought us back to God, didn't he? Reconcile us with God. All right. So there's unity with God. And then, being in Christ Jesus, being in the body of Christ, as we're all, those who are in Christ Jesus all share the body of Christ. We're in the body of Christ. There's unity there because we are one. We're going to look at that a little bit more closely later. So we are one in Christ Jesus. He prayed for unity in John 17, didn't he? That they all might be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He prayed for it. But they were a divided group of people. They were a divided church. And this affected the entire functioning of the church as we're going to see later. They had their little groups, their own little ideas here and there, and they were not working together at all. Remind me of the little story. Some of you uh, are familiar with this one about the man who fell off a cruise ship and he managed to make his way to shore. You know, it ended up being a deserted island. But there were, you know, some things there to eat, some berries and bananas and all, and he was able to survive, learned how to fish. And so he, he, he lives there on his little island for four, five, six years. Okay? Well, come to be that one day the Navy was conducting some training exercises in that area, and some guys came to the island, and they found him. They found him. And they said, you know, hey, how'd you get here? And, well, I fell off the ship and so forth. And said, but I, I was able to live and make my way. And uh, there's, they said, well, wh what's that little house up there? Well, that's where I built me a little house to live in. Uh, shelter from the sun and a lot of rain here. So, you know, I was safe. And, oh, that's great. And they said, well, what's, what's that building over there? They said, well, I, I built me a church building. And that's where I go to worship. And they said, oh, that's great. It's wonderful. And I said, well, what's that building down there a couple hundred yards down the shore? He says, well, well that's the other church building where I used to worship. <laughs> we just tend to want to be divided, to have our own way, our own ideas, our own opinions, and not want to be one. Now, I'm not saying we don't have different opinions. I'm not saying that. But even if we have differing opinions, we are still one in Christ. And those opinions should never divide us. They should never supersede our oneness in Christ Jesus. This congregation was letting it happen. Okay, let's go to chapter 3. Another problem they had, they were act 
just acting as humans and not spiritual people, fleshly people, as we would say. Sometimes identifying this idea of the flesh and the spirit is a little bit hard to, to comprehend. As I see it, when the scripture talks about being fleshly, fleshly minded, or just talking about living simply as a human, being driven by human desires and emotions, you know, desire to eat and the desire to sleep and the desire to have things and then you get angry and all this and that's what drives you. But you know, have no motivation of love of God, all right, faith in God, forgiveness and these kinds of things. When we're driven by those things, then we're being spiritually minded. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Yeah, but this is the church of God. How blameless, okay. But they got a problem. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I have a Paul, and another, I am of a Paul, so are you not mere men? And that goes back to their division, you see. The jealousy, the strife, the envy. Part of the work of the flesh. Fleshly men. Not allowing the spiritual to overcome these things and to be driven by spiritual things. Paul writes in another place for us to set our minds on things above. That's what he's talking about. And to be spiritually minded. To have this other world perspective that we are of Christ. We're of Christ all the time. This is the real truth of things. And someday we will all stand before God. Just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, I've done this. When you go into a stadium somewhere, maybe even just a high school ball game, you know, you're there for the game or whatever it is. Did you ever pause to think, how many of these people know Christ? instead of just being totally focused on the ball game and who's there and getting excited about it. I'm not saying we don't do that. But spiritually minded. Same way you go in a grocery store. wonder if his clerk knows Jesus. Spiritually minded. How about when there's a newborn babe? Wonderful blessing. Another addition to the family. Do we see God's hand in it? Do we praise God and thank God for it? Mike prayed about how God gives everyone life, which is indeed true. The hand of God. How about it when you see a sunset? You see beautiful colors, and, or do you see the hand of God? Something that he gave us to enjoy. And to show his glory and his majesty and his wonder. How about when you get your paycheck? You know, sometimes you get, get it now uh, in the envelope, and sometimes you get it, you know, electronically. 
but when it shows up in your bank account, what do you think? All right, here we go. I can do this. I can do that. Do you pause to thank God for the blessing? And do you consider, what can I do with this for the Lord? Some of it. I know we have, some of us have budgets and we got that all worked out, but are we really spiritually minded? Or do we just live like fleshly people through the week and then, you know, we go to church on Sunday? That was what these people were doing. Paul says, I can't even talk to you like mature people. I talk to you like babes in Christ. You haven't grown at all. I got another story if you can stand it. There's this lady driving through town. And she, was, she was in a hurry. She was kind of late for a meeting. And there was this van in front of her. and It was kind of poking along. It was a delivery van. And it was like it was looking for where this address was. And, you know, she's looking out the window and honking her horn. And he was going, to kind, of, going kind of slow. And it happened to be there was a, also a policeman following her. Well, anyway, up ahead there's a light, and the light was just turning yellow, and the van is slowing down. He's going to stop, and she's going crazy, okay? She's honking a horn, and he stops at the light. Well, then the light turns green, and he's kind of slow to, to pull out. And she's honking a horn, she's yelling. She, you know, she opens, he actually opens the door and steps out, and uh, you know, and then a few expletives fly out, and then some of those nice gestures, you know, and honking the horn and yelling and screaming, come on, let's go. Whereupon the policeman immediately turns on the lights, gets out of the car, and arrests her. Has her car towed and takes her down to the station. And she's in there. He finally comes in, and she says, what are you doing arresting me? He said, well, you know, I checked out your registration, license, and all, and you're good. It's your car. And she says, what do you mean? And he said, well, when I was sitting there behind you, and I saw in the back of the car, it said, follow me to Sunday school. Jesus is pro-life and had one of the fish symbols. He said, I was sure the car belonged to a Christian. But when I saw the way you were acting behind the wheel, I was sure that you had stolen the car. How do we act? Are we spiritually minded? Or do we just act like the world? These folks were worldly minded. They were fleshly, but still they were called the church of God. God is very patient with us, isn't he? 1 Corinthians 6, we move on. And I'm not touching all these things here in that were the problems in Corinth, okay? I encourage you to read the letter and see the tension and just wonder at the, and be amazed at the love of God to want to work with his people to help them grow. Here we're talking about sexual immorality. And the background here, I think most... If you read, in, I think it's in Acts 18, where Paul was actually instrumental in establishing this church. Uh, they were mostly Gentiles. Okay? The Jews really didn't want anything to do with Paul in Corinth. And it was mostly Gentiles. And they had this background of 
idol worship, in which there were often prostitutes at the temple where they worshipped and so forth, and they had their sacrifices, and that also comes in here. I'm not going to talk about the meat offered to idols in this lesson. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 6.15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. So evidently some of them were not able to even to come out from worshiping their idols and it becomes such a habit for them to go to those temples. And they were still doing it. And Paul says, wait, 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 you can't do that. Verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. We belong to him. We should have the same mind and heart that Jesus had. We're one spirit with him. We're part of him. His spirit dwells in us. Flee immorality. Some translate, the older translations have flee fornication. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Interesting. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So what we do with our body matters to God. We know that Gnosticism was starting to creep into the church where they were saying it doesn't matter what you do with the body, only what you do with the spirit. Not true. What we do with our body, to our body, and put into our body matters to God because our body belongs to Christ and he wants it well, he wants it healthy, he wants it pure from sin to serve him. To be ready to serve him. Ready for every good work. 1st 20. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So this church hadn't really learned that yet. At least some of them hadn't. They needed corrected. They needed change. They needed to understand about the body and it's important as well as the spirit and the soul within but God is willing to put up with them and help them to come out of that to turn from those evil ways. All right, let's go to chapter 11. 17. They're having a problem in their assembly, and this, this actually goes all the way through chapter 14. We don't have time to look at all the problems. They had problems there with using their gifts of the Spirit. But here in their assembly, Paul even says that they were not assembling for the right reason. Verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, and he says when you come together, you're making things worse. <laughs> it's not a good thing even when you come together. And my goodness... As Christians, coming together ought to be one of the greatest events of the week. 
we come together as one and receive refreshment in the Lord and reminders and encouragement. And he says, no, not so. This is bad for you. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So there's the factions thing again, and it was affecting their assembly. Okay? Look at the next verse. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And that really is the primary reason we come together. But he was saying, when you come together, it's so bad that it's not really to eat the supper. Because you've got other things that are more important on your mind. And so it's just disrupting the whole thing. And so he says, For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. This was a division thing. They had their love feasts. And in those days, they kind of had the, the church luncheon every Sunday. Okay? And they did that because of the slaves and the poor folks. And those who had, they would bring in food, actually, and they would all share a nice meal on Sunday when they came together. Well, here, it appears that because of their factions and divisions... That, first of all, had become the main reason they came together was to eat the food, okay? To eat. And that's always something you've got to watch about when you have a, some kind of a luncheon or whatever, that that doesn't become the main item on the agenda that day. But they were so messed up, you know, they're not even waiting for one another to come to get together so they can all share not only the food they brought, but the Lord's Supper. They're just all doing it whenever they show up and doing it on their own in their own little groups. So divided, so messed up as a church. And they really needed to change it. So... You can read the rest of that chapter if you want about their divisions there, but it was certainly not acceptable to God. And they were not showing the unity that they needed to have. But God said, they're still my people. I still love you. I still want the best for you. I want you to change. You've got to change this. Because it's really, really messing you up. Next thought in chapter 12. One is hard to believe. I mean, some of these are just hard to believe about this church of God at Corinth. They, they didn't have love for one another. Love was missing. Chapter 12, verse 30. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts and I show you a still more excellent way. They were squabbling over the tongues. This was dividing them over their spiritual gifts of healing and prophecy and interpretation. Uh, you know, which one was the best? Uh, you know, those who might have had more gifts than others, some who didn't have any gifts, and it was just more disruption. They didn't understand. They were jealous. 
So then he goes to talk in chapter 13. Most of you are familiar with chapter 13. We call it the chapter of love. That's why this is here. This congregation did not have it. They didn't love one another. Well, they might have said they did, but the way they acted toward one another showed they really didn't. So he says, if I have tongues of men and angels and don't have love, I'm just noisy gong, clang, just an empty sound. The gift of prophecy, know all mysteries and knowledge, and all faith, etc., but don't have love. What? I am nothing. Wow. Nothing. Read the chapter. Last verse. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then he says in 14.1, pursue love. Pursue love. Understand what love is and learn to love. Love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant. I'm in verse 4, verse 5, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. And when we're showing that toward another person, that's love. That's love. It's sometimes hard to learn. If we've been in the world for so long, haven't really been around anybody that loves, been around people that are selfish and worldly driven, it's hard to learn these things. And God is patient with us. Okay, our last thought before we close. Chapter 15, wrong belief. Some of them were messed up on the resurrection. If you can believe that, the resurrection is so central to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Chapter 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, then he was proclaimed. That's was been the gospel that Paul proclaimed when he came there, Christ crucified and then resurrected. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's just incredible. <laughs> How can that be? Where did you ever get this? But if there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. You see where this is going? I made a note here as I'm thinking, did none of these people even think this through? You know, this even challenges their, their de dedication to, to their faith to think about it and to think it through. Where does it logically take you? Like we had the lesson some time ago about atheism. It's too bad to be believed. Well, Christianity is too good not to be believed. And it's all about the resurrection of Christ Jesus. But here they were rejecting that. And if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, your faith also in vain, why are you even here? Why are you here? 
if Christ is still on the ground, you see? Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. He says we, we're liars. We who came and preached this gospel if there's no resurrection. You can read the next few verses there. Maybe this came from some of their factions or little groups. Somebody had an idea. But what we believe matters because our beliefs influence how we live. They really do. Whether we're talking about, you know, religious-type beliefs, faith-type beliefs, or just things out there in the world, you know. You know, some people got it in their head these days, everybody in a blue uniform is against me. And that's the way they live. And I'm just picking that out of the air as an example. What we believe affects how we live. So we have to be very careful, what do you believe? What do you really believe? So they were messed up on the doctrine. Where does this leave us? I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 1.30. And those are on your list. And then the last one. What do we think of the church of God at Corinth now? And like I said, I didn't cover everything. Do we want to be a part of this group? You know, there wasn't another church for them to go to in Corinth. Like the guy on the island. Like he made his own. They were there. That was the only group. God is really saying to them, I want you to stick this out. I want you to change. I want you to learn Christ. And I want you to grow in what you need to be. And not go running around trying to find another group. That's really what he's saying to them. And I'm willing to work with you. I'm patient with you. I love you. And I know what you can be. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But by his doing, meaning God, you are in Christ Jesus, we saw that, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, there is the key. It's Christ Jesus that saves us and when we're in Christ, we're saved. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now if these folks didn't try to change and do God's will, then, you know, they, they got another problem. But the letter was written in anticipation and in hope. You will change. You will see your error. And you will work to get it right. While they were in Christ, he was their righteousness. He was their redemption, not their own behavior. Chapter 321, look at this incredible blessing written to this church. It's for us too. So then let no one boast in men. There's that thought again, for all things belong to you. It's not about men. And when he says men, that includes them, me, in my own righteousness or achievements in, the, in Christ. I can't boast in me. 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. Why? You belong to Christ. You are in Christ. You stand to inherit with Christ. And Christ belongs to God. So there's the lesson. No church is perfect. No Christian is perfect. We're all saved by grace. Thank God. Thank God for that. And he's so very patient because he loves us. Love is patient. Didn't that say in 1 Corinthians 13? I've talked about applying those thoughts to God because he is love. Love is patient. He is patient with us to help us change, to repent, and grow. So we honor him and serve him. The lesson is yours. I think it bears more consideration, the tension there between the grace of God and waiting for us to change into the image of Christ. But also remembering this, nobody ever gets it all right. Nobody does. As we close out, the good, good song, Don, take the world Give me Jesus. Too much world in the church at Corinth at the time. I pray they got rid of that world and just had Jesus only. Don't know about you this morning. If you want Jesus, you want to give up the world, we're here to help you do that. To focus on him and him only. Know he's the Savior. He is the one through whom your sins can be forgiven. You can be brought back into right relationship with God and be ready for a judgment day. And look forward to life eternal. We're here to assist you if you want to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with sin, God is patient with you. He's always patient. But maybe it's something you've been struggling with a long time and you'd like for us to pray with you. Something going on in your life, whatever it might be. And as I've said before, you don't have to give me details. You can just come say, I need prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and pray for you. So whatever might be your desire this morning, you can come while Brother Don leads us.